0: Hello and welcome. You're listening to Building with People for People, the unfiltered build podcast, where we talk to people behind the tech, explore their journeys, and make sense of what and how we build through a human lens. I'm your guest, Matt Pocock. And I'm your host, Nigel Finley. Let's say you're writing a JavaScript
1: function that takes an object as a param. As the caller of the function, I can pass a string and everything still works, right? Well, you could, but if you did this, your code would break and you may not know it until runtime when your app crashes for your users. So I ask, as the caller of the function, how can I get feedback before runtime to know something is wrong? And how can I know what data types my function should accept without digging into the function implementation? This is where TypeScript comes in. Today, we dive into the wizarding world of TypeScript and uncover its true power of catching errors early, running anywhere JavaScript does, and giving you type inference, all with the help from a true master of the language. Our guest today hails from the greater Oxford area in England and is an educator, content creator, software engineer, and, you guessed it, a TypeScript wizard. He has a Master of Arts in Practice of Voice and Singing from the Guildford School of Acting, and was a public speaking coach and British accent trainer prior to his software career. He has built a voice training app called Voice Hacker Accents, available for Android and a VS Code extension to help learn TypeScript. With his deep study of the English language, it is no wonder he has taken to the deep study and teachings of TypeScript. He's held many developer jobs over the years, and his most recent was a developer advocate at Vercel, the company behind Next.js currently he is a full-time typescript instructor working on total typescript the most comprehensive typescript course available on the web when matt is not teaching the world how to wield the typescript wand he's a big football fan uh, that's soccer for u.s folks and he loves board games modern art is one where you sell paintings to each other
0: without further ado i give you the man the wizard matt pokok matt welcome to the show what a legendary intro that was. I don't know how I can possibly top that. Thank you so much. Absolutely. So a big part of this podcast is talking
1: about and understanding the whole person, right? Because I think that as software developers, we bring to the table our experiences, where we've been. And so I'm really interested in your in your journey. Mm. Uh, you earned your degree in the arts, specifically the practice of voice and you were and possibly still are a public speaking coach first i'm curious kind of your journey and also uh why why were you drawn to to the discipline of voice
0: yeah i guess um i was always a nerd when i was a kid and for some reason i found a desire to want to act and sing and, and play piano and stuff and and i went and did a drama degree for my undergraduate I sort of immediately got there and realized, oh, wow, everyone, everyone here is better at acting than I am. Everybody is better. How can that (laughs) possibly, there were 119 other people there. How can everyone be better than me? And so I realized, okay, I'm going to have to do something a bit to stand out. So music was the way I did that. So I was a singer for a while and sort of played music all through university. Um, I played piano, guitar, a couple of other things. And then I went from there to basically my friend, uh, my friend who I actually visited the other weekend. About what well, this must have been, God, twelve years ago or something. He was running a SEO business where he was trying to take people from, um, basically trying to get websites the number one in Google for certain um, locations and professions. So basically, singing teacher, Exeter dot com was available, and he said, "Okay, I've got this website at number one. Why don't I give you some students? You give me some commission. You can teach them." I was like, "I have no idea how to do that. I, I'm like, I'm not really a teacher." Like, <laughs> <laughs> and he had all all of these all over the country. He still does that as well. His music teacher at UK, and um, he's uh, yeah, he's a brilliant guy, and he showed me the value instantly of having a website at the number one in Google. So I started building my own website to kind of compete with him and then I moved to Guildford for this master's so I was doing SEO there and then I moved to London and uh, when I was in London I'd got my master's degree in voice and singing I was a singing teacher a voice coach public speaking and I was traveling to various drama schools like across the you know London and teaching teaching acting and you know teaching Shakespeare teaching accents teaching all of this stuff and I just hated London so much. So mm. I needed a mechanism to get out of London because in London, that's where all of the drama schools are. That's where all yeah. of the people who, if you want to work at a certain level, you need to be in London. So I needed some way to get out of London and TypeScript was the apparently, no. I mean, like, it, basically yeah. I found coding through that because I realized, okay, mm. I've been interested in this for a while. I know the power of websites, I just need to put the two together. Hmm. That's
1: amazing. And so, are you still doing your vocal coaching as well and acting and music? I
0: gave it up. Gave it up like five, six years ago when I came in. uh, Came in to do this, and I'm. I don't regret it at all. I kind of. It's. It's. I'm naturally an introvert. I know I don't present that way at all, but I'm definitely naturally an introvert. And I did a lot of one-to-one coaching, and. It, I found it exhausting, you know, I would do seven hours of it, you know, reach the mm-hmm. end of the day at 7pm. I just need to relax. you know what I mean? I didn't, it wasn't much of a life. Whereas now I feel a lot more empowered. I feel like being, you know, sucked into the computer all day is kind of quite good for me because I get all this flow state. I get really excited mm-hmm. by it. So I don't regret living it at all. Well, I have to say, I think,
1: uh, and we'll talk about this later, but all the mini videos that you create and you, and you put out on, on the social media platforms, your background, I feel like in, in voice just really gives it a very, very, very professional polish to it. I must say.
0: Yep. It's really felt like a, um, sorry to steal the limelight, but it's, it's it's felt like an unfair advantage actually throughout my career. It really has being Hmm. able to communicate effectively and being able to be confident speaking to people and be confident putting your ideas into words has just felt like a skill that people on the teams that I've been in haven't had in spades you know or haven't like like they just don't have the professional training that I have you know what I mean so it was very strange mm-hmm. when I went into the, this profession because I was just I felt like I was operating at a slightly different level or I had different skills than other people had. I was a terrible coder when I first came in, but I was able to understand what clients were asking for and ask them more detailed questions. And it meant that I went from junior to mid to senior to lead very quickly.
1: Can we talk about that really quickly? Uh, The idea of this unfair advantage, I think coming from non-traditional backgrounds, right? I think there's a lot, a lot of times there is imposter syndrome, right? There's a lot of struggle to learn how to code and to get better. Mm. And it sounds like you found your un- unfair advantage quickly. Mm. I guess uh, my questions here uh, are sort of twofold. How can people find their unfair advantage? Mm. And and two, are there ways... I mean, I think communication is extremely important in this field. I mean, really in everything, but even more so mm. in, in the software field because you're having to straddle... Mm the technical implementation, technical details, and then stakeholders who may not know that. So you're having to sort of traverse this, you know, bridge of how do I can convey this specific meaning to people who are non-technical in a way that still makes sense and gets it across. Mm. So I guess, yeah, two questions. How can people find their unfair advantage? And how can people improve their communication skills?
0: Mm. Um, I'm going to answer this question by sort of going a little bit one step up because first of all, you need to feel comfortable in the situation that you're in, right? Like if you're Mm. coming into coding from a second career and you're going to get, as you say, buckets of imposter syndrome and solving that problem is a prerequisite to working out how you can optimize, you know? So, for me, I actually had a lot of imposter syndrome when I was a singing teacher because I was coming at it without any training as well. So this is actually my second career I've gone into without any training. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so <laughs> the thing that I found really nerve wracking was, especially when I went to do my master's, I was thinking, oh, wow, the people who are teaching at, you know, Guilford School of Acting, they're going to be incredible. They're going to be just so knowledgeable. And how can I possibly compete with that without... and?" what I found was the people that were there were just people. You know what I mean? They were people Mm. with like pros and cons. And it was obvious that they'd gone through a path and that path had landed them there and you could see the whole progression. So when you're at a lower level and you are looking at the level above, you often think, how on earth did they possibly get there? Because you can't see the entire journey. And so... I found that and when I went to the drama schools in London too I was thinking god these people are amazing how how the hell can I get there and then you know they're just people so there's nothing supernatural about the process it's just years of experience like adding mm. up over time and so when I went into dev I was like oh yeah I've had these feelings before I know what's going on but it's just people you know like so I felt really comfortable actually mm. and so but it's that knowledge is like it's something that you do have to feel you know because it's hard to get a like It's hard to understand that at a bone deep level and have that confidence in yourself that you can catch up and you you just need time um, without having done it. But that's the first thing. The communication skills, I mean, your communication skills are probably better than you think they are. And honestly, the the main thing that I got from uh, working through this stuff is that really it's just about connecting to the person you're talking to, trying to work out what they want, where they are, and really communication just comes down to empathy. I have a lot of sort of physical skills that come along with that empathy, but you don't really need them. Like I can make this big, beautiful sound with my voice, but it doesn't really matter as long as you're connecting to the person that you're talking to and trying to understand where they're coming from and where they're going. So that combined with a sense that, you know, you can do this, it's just like, uh, nothing is supernatural about this process. It's just, you do the thing and then you're there. Um, and I can't remember the third part of your question, but hopefully I, I got a sense that I've answered half of it.
1: Yeah, no, I think that was it. That was it. Yeah. I think being able to recognize your emotions and how you're feeling when you're in those, as you put it, sort of buckets of imposter syndrome, right? Cause they kind of, at least for me, they kind of can come in waves, mm-hmm. but acknowledging that and grappling with it. And being okay with that emotion, I think Mm -hmm. gets you to the next step of being like, it's okay that I feel this way. Now let's Mm -hmm. figure it out.
0: And everyone who's in the positions above you has felt like that as well.
1: Which is nice to hear because then it's, you know, when we have that shared sense of community, we've all been there before. Then I think it's, it's allowing us to realize it's, it's okay to feel this
0: way. Yeah. It's not unnatural. It's a absolutely normal part of the process.
1: We're, it's all it's all about the, that growth, the growth process. Wonderful. So before we dive in and talk about the ins and outs of TypeScript, can you first define for us what TypeScript is and when and why you'd want to use it?
0: Yep. Great question. So I'm going to do a sort of slightly funky definition because obviously people who know about TypeScript will uh, already know what it is. So I'm going to describe what I think TypeScript wants to be. TypeScript wants to be a... It wants to just add a couple of little types for JavaScript. That's all it wants to do. It wants to basically provide amazing tooling for JavaScript. Maybe that's a better answer. The reason that they came up with TypeScript, you know, 10, 11 years ago, was they wanted to do big refactors on JavaScript codebases, and what they noticed was, oh, wow, the tooling for this, like the IDE that we're using, is just pants. It's rubbish. I can't like rename a symbol across files. I can't do refactors. It's not yelling at me if I get something wrong. This is awful. How on earth can we get around this? And so there was a, a language, oh, God, what's it called? It might be called like ScriptSharp or something, where you could basically write C-sharp code that would compile into JavaScript. and Some people came to Anders who like came up with the idea, for worked on the early version of TypeScript and said, can you productize this, Microsoft? Can you make something out of this? And they were like, what? You're using C Sharp to write JavaScript? That's crazy. What are you doing? This is bonkers. And they said, (laughs) well, the tooling's really good. You know, like what are we going to do? Like there's no good tooling for JavaScript. So they realized the lengths that people would go to, to actually get good tooling mature tooling for javascript and they realized okay what would j- javascript need in order to get that tooling well you would need to know the types of things you would need to know whether things are strings and numbers and objects and arrays and things you would need to have some awareness of that like the flow through the application and you would need to be able to like pin that into an ide that really takes advantage of that and gives you errors in line and lets you rename symbols and do all that stuff that you're used to doing if you're a C Sharp developer. So TypeScript is an effort to make JavaScript as mature and powerful a language as C Sharp is. And there are some things that sort of like TypeScript sort of lost its way a little bit like in the early days, but they're bang on rails now. So like they introduced things to the language that weren't there before, like decorators, like enums. But If you ask anyone involved with the TypeScript project right now, they'll say it's just adding some type, adding really good tooling for JavaScript. And when, when would you want to use this? When you want good tools. Seems kind of like a no brainer. Yeah. I mean, like when, when do you want good tools? Uh, You want good tools (laughs) when you're working in a team, right? Because you want those tools to keep your team on the rails. Uh, Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a no brainer. right? It makes no sense to not use TypeScript. (laughs) And the thing with TypeScript is that you can run TypeScript like on JavaScript code as well. So the you are going to get some autocomplete from your IDE if you're using JavaScript because they've built TypeScript. So just by building TypeScript and having like TypeScript can kind of scan JavaScript code, understand what it's supposed to be, make some sort of smart inferences, you're going to get better autocomplete in your JavaScript just by TypeScript existing. So, you know javascript developers can thank us later you know like you don't need to use typescript typescript did make your life better even if you're not using it
1: right right okay so the big benefits type inference and allowing you to understand sort of what your functions need and require in order to dare i say function yeah. um, mm-hmm. any anything else large benefits i mean kind of reiterating what you're saying but anything else that that we may have missed
0: Yeah. External libraries. So like being able to type Mm. external libraries and being able to just pull in an external dependency and just have autocomplete on those methods and for it to yell at you if you're getting it wrong. Integrating different libraries together is amazing as well. Um, Yeah. I mean, just the fact that you get autocomplete on all of these methods, uh, DOM typings, types for node, types for Dino. you know, like it's, it just gives you tons of stuff. And again, it's this idea of mature tooling. That's the reason TypeScript exists. And any
1: downsides, I mean, to this? I mean, it all sounds wonderful. I mean, who wouldn't want this amazing tool in your toolbox?
0: That's the thing with TypeScript is that there aren't that many. Like if you look at other 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 tools that have done what TypeScript has done, like CoffeeScript, let's say, which is like adding a layer of extra syntax on top of JavaScript to make it more terse. More expressive. Like that has a downside in that there's all this syntax that you need to learn that is not quite interoperable with different projects. Um, mm. TypeScript, like you need to understand what the compiler is doing. You need to understand its errors, which can be quite painful and I think are a source of a lot of um, discontent in the community. But usually you can figure out what TypeScript is trying to say to you, even though it feels like, uh, you know, it's speaking a different language. But I think those are the errors are probably the main one that people um, complain about. Excellent.
1: Let's talk about a tool that that you're working on mm-hmm. to sort of help make that pain of errors mm-hmm. be more manageable. It's a TS error translator, and you're working on a VS Code extension. That's right. Can you tell us more about it and sort of inspiration behind it and how it works?
0: So I wanted to put some pressure on the TypeScript team uh, to make the errors better or to give people... Because this is how generally tooling evolves, right? It's like you have a tool and then you have a rival tool that does something better. And then what happens is it's kind of like the main tool sort of pulls in the ideas that are actually working from the tool that's better and the main tool still succeeds. So this is my idea, basically. It's like if I can make a VS Code extension... um, which I had some experience in from uh from working on stuff at work then I can just intercept the typescript errors as they come in and display them in a more friendly format and that's what the ts ts error translator does um I've also integrated it with a an extra tool which looks at complicated typescript syntax in your IDE and gives you like a translation of what it's doing as well hmm. which is a new feature that's coming coming in and it's I've rebranded it now from the TS error translator into just a total typescript extension, which sort of matches in with the course that I'm building. Excellent.
1: And I noticed that on your on your GitHub, there are a few issues with a tag of, of help wanted. Mm-hmm. Is that an invitation for, for listeners to, to come and help you refine this tool?
0: Yes. Uh, although it's complicated because I'm, it, there's currently quite a lot of churn in the repository because I'm doing quite a lot of development on it and like switching out a lot mm-hmm. of issues. What I found is it's kind of, complicated to accept because part of the tool is we accept translations in from from people so if you want to offer a translation in then um you you can do that if you want to but the issue i found with it is that uh i often have to do a lot of editorial stuff on the translations that people provide and it's Mm. actually quite a lot of work on my end to take the translations that people have given me and try to Make something usable out of them. So what I tend to mm-hmm. do is I tend to just watch, see what translations people are um, people are going for and like or trying to translate, and then uh, sort of add my own translation in. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a complicated one to because with code, you know, even if the code is bad, the machine doesn't matter. Like it it will still work. If a translation is bad, I can't accept the PR. I have to like try to um, fix it, which is tricky. Makes sense.
1: We'll put a link to the show notes or in the show notes for that VS Code, so folks can uh, can go check it out. Mm-hmm. So let's dig in a little bit to some of the f- specific features that you've been talking about around TypeScript, and I'd, I would like to use your beginners TypeScript tutorials on Total TypeScript mm-hmm. as sort of our, our backdrop, so that way uh, folks can can as they're listening or you know they can they can they can go and and check out. Uh, your tools and i must say how you have this arranged with the problem and then the challenge and then offering the solution i think it's a really wonderful way to learn Mm -hmm. because you're not just giving folks the answer you're asking them okay based on what we've talked about based on what what, what we need Mm -hmm. right here's the documentation
0: let's figure out how we can how we can provide this yeah, it's a really cruel way to teach. Really, like, uh, <laughs> um, do you mind if I dive into that for a second? Because it's 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 really interesting. Please, yes, I, please. I really try to think about structuring it that way because it it sort of comes from voice coaching that idea. Because it's you need to understand why you are learning something in order to actually embed it. Right? You need to understand the context in which that knowledge belongs in order to actually use that knowledge later in the world. So, if you are not doing this, if you are basically the course basically says there's a problem here you fix it and then i'll show you what my solution was as well which is extremely mean uh but essential because you it gives you the uh the reason why that piece of knowledge should exist well it's the critical it's the critical thinking piece Mm.
1: right i think so much about development these days you know we can we can find it on stack overflow we can google it and we can find the answer and we can put it in our code and it works mm. but that's to me that's only part of it why does it work and mm. how does this fit as you said in the context of everything else yep. uh, and so doing it this way i think is i think is yeah this genius so let's start with the first The first exercise in the beginner's TypeScript Hmm. tutorials, the implicit any type error Hmm. to help us understand simple type annotations. Sounds good. So can we just maybe walk us through, yeah, walk us through the video kind of as if, you know, we're listening to you live, explain it, and then we can kind of talk through it. Does that work for you?
0: Sounds good. This is one of the most common errors that people get, uh, because, It's the error that you get if you just define a function and then you just have a parameter to that function. Let's say, you know, you're adding two numbers together, like first and second, and it will say something like parameter first implicitly has an any type. What does that mean? Uh, What does that mean, TypeScript? Implicitly has an any type. Well, TypeScript has a little rule in it that's uh, by default on in strict mode, which is no implicit any's, no implicit any's. Okay, what does that mean? Well, if you have an any in your code base, what that means is that TypeScript can't work out what type it's supposed to be. So it could be freaking anything. It has no idea. It knows that it's something, there's something in that slot, but it has no idea what it is. And so what happens if you don't define a parameter to a function, then TypeScript will infer it as any. And it's kind of an implicit any because you haven't manually said it's any. So TypeScript does allow you to specify something as an any. But if you've just sort of implicitly set it to any, then that's bad. And in strict mode in TypeScript, it will yell at you. So it's saying blah, blah, blah. First, cannot be an implicit any type. Or I can't remember what the, the phrase is now. So the solution then is just to give it a type. Like... You can think of every function in your application as like a boundary, you know, like TypeScript doesn't know how that function is going to be called, how it's going to be handled. Um, so you need to give it some types at the boundaries so it can understand what it's being called with. And this can be kind of burdensome, like especially to new folks who don't understand um, or haven't used TypeScript very much, because it's like if you're just adding two numbers together, why doesn't TypeScript infer those as numbers? Well, you could be concatenating two strings together, you know, or you could be doing something really mad. So you need to tell TypeScript, like at the boundaries of things, what the types are. And that's what the implicit any type is, or the implicit any error is yelling about. So if you give it a type of first number and second number, then it's going to be happy. All right. Second 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 uh,
1: piece, interfaces. Mm-hmm. What are they and how would I use one? Hmm. Using your second example of working with object params.
0: Yeah. Well, imagine in this case, um, imagine if you have like your add function, but instead of asking for two separate parameters, you're asking for one bag of parameters, one object of parameters, where you're supposed to pass in an object with a key of first, which is a number, and a key of second, which is a number, and then it will return a number to add those two together. How do you type that in TypeScript? Well, there's three ways you can do it. You can do it with just like an object syntax inside the parameter itself. So you can say my function uh, args is like an object with first number, second number. You can also extract that information out into a type itself. So if you're unfamiliar with TypeScript, you can do this in order to basically capture types outside of your functions, outside of your classes and whatever, and reuse them across your application. So often TypeScript applications will have a file called types.ts with a bunch of shared types in that you can use throughout your app. Now, This is cool because those types like disappear at runtime. So TypeScript will get rid of those and they help you capture information that's pertinent for your app. And, This is kind of cool because it means that you can define different structures in your app that flow through different functions. Let's say you get a user from a database. That user then needs to, if you're in a React app, let's say, pass through a whole set of components and then end up somewhere else. Or it needs to go on a context, and that context can then flow through your application and the use context will pick up that type too. So interfaces and types give you a way to express like this flow of data through your app okay
1: and the last one that i have a question on is around the function return type annotation Mm -hmm. and again you have an example of that which uh, i believe is number eight in your beginner typescript tutorials Mm. walk us through what the function return type means and its
0: importance well, if you if you have like a really complicated function and you want that function to say uh, return, like you want to say, okay, this function must return a string, let's say. And if you have a lot of branching, let's say you're trying to like um, figure out what the type that you've passed in is, whether it's admin, whether it's role, whether it's user, whether it's whatever. And you might have some like early returns in there, like long, complicated 200 line function you're going to want to like specify what that return type is so that your function itself can make sure that it lives up to that contract. And so that's like there's a piece of syntax in TypeScript that just lets you say, this is what my function returns. You can say that your function returns this or that, so it might return string or undefined, let's say, or string or undefined or an object or whatever. And what this means is you can basically be sure that that function is doing what it's supposed to do. And do you have any favorite features of TypeScript? Uh, my favorite feature is generics. Generics uh, huh. are a kind of... I, I'm not very like aware of what's happening in other languages, but generics in TypeScript, uh, I hear said again and again and again, are extremely powerful and one of the most powerful features in the language. What they let you do is basically, if you have a function, you can say this function inside here, I want TypeScript to infer the type of the thing I'm passing in and then do something with that information. So it can take in and understand the type of something you're passing into a function and then let's say change the return type based on that. So what this means is you can have like a... uh, a function where you accept like uh, an object and then it calls object.keys in the middle. And then you actually get back an array of the actual keys that you passed in. So what what this means is then you get autocomplete based on the thing that you passed in. So a lot of libraries out there like uh, React Query, let's say, it's a great example. Um, I was chatting to Tanner Lindsley the other day, actually. And he... Basically, in React Query, what you can do is provide a function which fetches some data and it will call that function, store it in a cache, save it to um, and then you can use it in your application. What that means then is you get the type of the data that's returned from the function and then that just flows through down into your app without you having to manually specify anything whatsoever. It's just beautiful and it's a way of building Libraries and utility functions, which are general purpose, generic, and that just provide this amazing uh, type annotation, oh, sorry, amazing type inference without you needing to actually annotate them at all. It's so
1: cool. I'm sold. Mm -hmm. I have a project in JavaScript and I want to migrate to TypeScript. What is a good path to do that?
0: Yep. Yep well you can install typescript as a dev dependency you can run tsc init which will give you like a basic ts config file and from there you can start moving individual files over to typescript depending on what the type of project is you might need to add some things to your um, compilation steps for instance so I assume probably if it's a modern JavaScript project, you're going to have some sort of bundling step to like shift from ES6 or whatever, or ES next down to ES5 or blah, blah, whatever the fashion is these days. But it's going to have some sort of compilation <laughs> step. That compilation step is probably going to support TypeScript anyway because pretty much all modern bundlers do, like uh, Webpack 5 does, Webpack 4 does, uh, Vite does, ESBuild, SWC, all of them support TypeScript out of the box. So, it's going to be a case of just changing over individual files and working out the level of strictness that you want as well. Because TypeScript lets you be um, pretty relaxed in how strict it wants you to be. You can turn strict mode off to remove some errors. And then, when you've kind of transferred all your files over to TypeScript, um, then you can start ratcheting up the strictness a little bit and add in a little like through commits and commits and commits start sort of tightening things up a little bit but it's perfectly fine to just have whole sections of your app that are still in javascript you know if it's a big legacy project and you just want to start building the new features in typescript then that's totally fine Um, so it works super well however you want to migrate it's incrementally adoptable and even if you just start adding certain types in certain places especially at high points in your application then those are going to flow down through the javascript as well which is really really nice so i'd probably start from like the utils folder outwards let's say if you want to do a big migration like that and it's it's definitely a cool process i've been through it a few times actually and uh, and doing it always feels really really nice
1: And are there any any gotchas that you've found either when setting up typescript or migrating that
0: might Come back and nip you in the bud to let the listeners know about. I don't think so. I mean, it's pretty on rails, really. Um, I think it's very tempting when you first like use TypeScript is to like put it as a blocker on certain things. So let's say that you hmm. you want to say, okay, my types are cor- like are correct every time I look at my localhost, for instance. So if you're using like a Next.js project or something. You would say, um, okay, every time I look at my local host, I wanted to give me an error if my types are incorrect in my project. This is actually a bit of a bummer because what you're saying then is I need my types to be absolutely correct and I can't even see anything, can't even try anything on the screen with incorrect types. I don't think that's the right way to Mm -hmm. go because... TypeScript, like it doesn't need the types to be correct in order to compile and in order to run. The types are basically advisory. It's like a really, really powerful linter. That's the best way to think mm. of TypeScript. And mm. so if you say like, okay, in my pre-commit hook or something, I wanted to check all my types. That again is not going to help you very much. The best way to run TypeScript is as a linter on CI. So making sure that your um, before your project deploys, that you run a lint in order to make sure that typescript all the types are correct.
1: Well, all of this knowledge you are putting together in your TypeScript course, total TypeScript, mm. and you describe it as a comprehensive production grade TypeScript training. So mm. why a course and tell us more about it and how can we become TypeScript wizards?
0: Well. It's a, it's a really fun thing to do is make a course, and it's something that I always wanted to do when I was a voice teacher as well. Like putting knowledge into an order is a really tough problem, and it's a very rewarding problem. And the whole course is structured exactly like the beginner's courses, you know, with problem and solution. It really forces you to um, to go out and get the knowledge, and then I tell you if you're right, basically. and the whole course basically covers three separate, um, three separate workshops that I actually delivered uh, as live workshops, but I've broken them down into individual exercises. First one is uh, type transformations, uh, which is all about transforming types to other types, which is really, really crucial part of understanding how TypeScript works. If you, like, if you have two interfaces, let's say, and one is like, super similar to the other, let's say you have a user and then a, a user without ID, then probably instead of redeclaring the entire user and just removing the ID manually, you should actually like make a little type function, which takes that type and just removes the ID property and TypeScript lets you do that. Hmm. So this is something I say a lot in the course, but like derive don't declare, you know, or derive don't redeclare, let's say. So that's kind of like the first one. Then I talk about generics, which is what we just talked about. Um, Extremely powerful, uh, basically driving a, every single like powerful TypeScript library that's out there. Um, you know is going to be using generics, so they're a crucial like part of understanding what it takes to be a wizard. And then finally is advanced patterns, and advanced patterns is just like my bag for throwing in like a whole load of different cool patterns that uh, are around in TypeScript, like branded types, like uh, working with external libraries. What else is in there? Like recursive types and uh, identity functions and loads and loads of stuff. And yeah, and that's kind of the whole course, really, is like going through this stuff in extraordinary amounts of detail. And I'm pretty sure it's the most comprehensive, like advanced TypeScript course there is out there because Mm. uh, this knowledge is like in not a lot of people's heads. And I happened to have it because I was working on a open source library called Xstate for like about a year and a half. So I was on the Xstate core team and I worked with some absolute TypeScript geniuses and I'm Hmm. basically just stealing the knowledge they gave me and, and bringing it out into the wider world. And I've been part of kind of like the advanced TypeScript community for a while now. And it's really fun to see this stuff sort of gaining popularity Pushing out into the world more, and yeah, it's because I mean, working with it is a joy as well. So I'm super excited to be able to send this stuff out. And is it is it
1: ready for consumption? I know you you've been working on it. Um, where can people buy
0: it, if so? How do, how does that all work? We did a pre release in December where we gave away the first module, uh, and then we shut the door again. So currently, the door is shut. Depending on when this podcast goes out, um, we will be reopening it again. Uh, when all the modules are complete, which will be pretty soon, I think. So I think we're aiming at about in a month and a half's time, uh, which we're recording this mid-January. So that'll be very early March. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. And uh, so it's sort of a random question. Who does your artwork? <laughs> Michelle Holick uh, is a brilliant, brilliant illustrator in, uh, oh God, where does she live? In Czech Republic, I think, but I might might be wrong on that one. Um, I'm working with, uh, the team who, uh, built Egghead. So I'm working with, uh, the crew like uh, Joel Hooks okay. and all of those folks. And she's part of that team. So they've been absolutely incredible to work with. They've provided me with a lot of support, a lot of help, helping bring the course platform to life. And Michelle's part of that group and the artwork she's put together. is just incredible. We're going with a whole wizard theme, a whole f- like Dungeons and Dragons, Magic the Gathering <laughs> kind of feel, which fits me down to a T. I love that stuff. And she loves it as well. She was like, we just sort of like, she said, oh, like Diablo. I said, this is what I said. I said, I love it to be a sort of like a, a wizard theme, you know, sort of like uh, big creatures and like uh, and spell books and stuff. And she was like, oh, I like Diablo 2, my favorite ever game. And I was like, yes, like Diablo 2, yes. Okay, cool. We, we're mind meld. Let's do it great. <laughs>
1: That's fantastic. Well it is it is wonderful. And again, I think just it's just that that whole polish, right? It just brings that full experience uh to life. And you know, who wouldn't want to become a, a TypeScript wizard? So
0: Exactly. I like it because it, it sort of embeds you with the idea that the course has big expectations for you. You know what I mean? Mm. It's like, okay, you yeah. better bring your A game if you're coming into this world because you're gonna <laughs> need it, you know.
1: So moving to the mini videos that you publish often. Uh, I consume them on Twitter. I'm 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 guessing that you might put them other places as well. Hmm. My question is how are you how do you continue to generate so much
0: content? Well, I think that being a voice coach gives again it feels like an unfair advantage again. So, I was working uh I started working at Vassell last year. So I worked there for only three months, actually, just like a small three-month contract. And then before that, I was working at a company called Stately, which was founded out of the State core team. And I started there as a lead developer or as a developer, and then I sort of finished there as a developer advocate. So I sort of changed roles halfway through. And that was my first taste of developer advocacy. So I was a developer advocate for about a year before I left cell to do what I'm doing now full-time. And I've immediately forgotten what your question was. Yeah, what was your Sorry.
1: How do you continue to generate so much content?
0: Oh, uh, right, right. Yeah. Uh, like what I've tried to prioritize whenever I'm making content is basically efficiency, you know, speed. It's like trying to make something that is good enough. Um because I have quite high standards and I tend to lean into the sort of perfectionist thing. So I'm trying to like it's it's so easy to fall into that trap. And what I've realized is that the further you lean away from it and the more content you produce, the better it's going to end up being. You're going to like, you're going to actually train yourself at a deeper level to understand what's working, what's not. And so I do a lot of one take stuff where I basically just like turn on OBS. I look at some, I have some like an idea for some code I want to look at. And then I just film and then speak for two minutes and then trim off the start and the end and post it to Twitter. That's the whole workflow. <laughs> so it, it looks like I'm doing a lot when in fact, I'm. it usually takes me 10 minutes to put together a tip for Twitter. Like it's extremely short. I've started now doing a lot more stuff on YouTube. I'm really enjoying YouTube. So I've done like a video a day this week. And that again, I I wouldn't want to do that if that took 10 hours per video or eight hours per video. So I've managed to find a workflow where I like film stuff on OBS, but this time not a single take. So like short, like bits of me speaking. And then I have a script that goes through, clips out all of the silence, imports that into DaVinci Resolve, which is like a, a video editor. And so it means that I have just like a whole, like I basically then just delete the clips I don't want and my video is edited. So that whole process takes like an hour and a half for a really tightly edited four minute video which again is a really good ratio of time. So I'm constantly looking at that and looking at how I can improve that. And I've got ideas that I don't quite have time for at the moment of how I can improve that workflow. So it's all about workflows. Um, If I can get that faster and faster and faster and faster, then it just means I have more time to relax. Basically I've, (laughs) I've, I really don't, I hate hustle culture. I hate the feeling of having to push myself basically. I really hate um, working past 4 p.m. I want to basically do as little as I can possibly do and still get by. And the stuff I'm doing seems to be working really well. So I think if what you're doing isn't working, then don't work harder. Uh, Look at your product market fit, basically. Because I I was doing content about X-State for a long time. And Xtate, you've probably never heard of it. Like it's a it's a finite state machine library, state charts library. It's extremely good. It's used in like lots and lots of places. And um and it, it has a quite a small but very dedicated community around it. So I was doing a lot of content about X-State. And I started uh, putting out TypeScript stuff. I put out like one video. And it got like 1,000 likes and like 600 people followed me. You know what I mean? Like it was just, okay, this is a whole different ball game. No one was seemingly mm. talking about advanced TypeScript at the time. And so I just found the right niche at the right moment. And I've been, that was in February last year. So I was on 4,000 Twitter followers uh, and I gained 60,000 last year or, or like 56,000 or something. Um, oh my goodness. Like gained 25,000 YouTube subscribers subscribers like I, I just found the fit basically um so yeah
1: yeah well congrats i mean that's that's really incredible and again for all, all the listeners out there you have to have to check out all of the different content that matt is producing because it is it is amazing thanks and you mentioned
0: you mentioned obs what is that ah obs is open broadcast studio so it's usually a it's an open source piece of software that lets you do uh, video recording and video streaming, uh, locally. What I like about it is that it's free. Um, that's another thing about me is I'm kind of tight. That's why I'm still got this uh, crappy microphone, uh, and like this crappy, like Logitech sees and blah, blah, blah. Like ugh, Joel gets really annoyed with me. He's like, that microphone picks up the neighbors, like two blocks away. What are you doing? And I was like, oh, I can't be asked. Uh, <laughs> anyway, what am I saying? Uh, and OBS is free and it has all of these different scenes in there. So it means that you can put your face over on one side, have the code on the other. It means I can do things like um, have a uh, a lighting sort of color grading setup like in the uh, in my camera, which means I don't need to do that much post-production, um, but it still looks really nice. Um, OBS is extremely powerful, very hard to use, um, but free. So I, I really like... Products that are really difficult to use but free—that's uh, my jam. Well, then you teach the
1: world how to uh, how to use them, right?
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> so I I noticed that uh, I, I saw a tweet of yours that said you built a custom canvas-based video maker. Mm-hmm. Is that different than OBS?
0: Yeah, that's different from OBS. Okay. Um, it's just a like a little side project I was playing around with over Christmas. I built this little. Um, a tool to make code animations, essentially, that Ooh. is really fun. So it's just sort of like moving little boxes around on the screen and stuff. And I really, it was my first, because I've been doing developer advocacy now for a year and a bit, and I do not get the chance to really session on code like as much as I wanted to. So it was a chance to just like really dive in. I got back into using XState and brought together a lot of cool stuff, used a bit of frame of motion and, and like, it was great. Really loved it.
1: And so you kind of talked about content generation. Do you have any advice for content creators on building their audience? I mean, maybe maybe content, creating content, building audience, go hand in hand. I don't know.
0: Um, one thing that I did that, because there's like two phases. There's like the phase where you're working with nothing, when you where you basically don't have an audience or you have an audience of like five people, let's say. And you want to get from there to a spot where you have, you know, a thousand people in your audience, let's say. Let's Let's just use Twitter followers as a metric. Um, What I found was useful there was diving into a small part of the community and uh, just really getting embedded in that community. So hanging out with people on Discord, answering questions, being useful. And as soon as you realize, okay, you need a thesis basically for people to follow you. And that thesis should be, I'm getting something from this person. If you're being useful in like the Frame of Motion community or the advanced TypeScript community, something that you maybe know a bit about that maybe other people don't, then people in that community will start to follow you. You start looking at people. Who are the people actually that are the major players in this community? Uh, and you basically like start uh, interacting with them, like retweeting their stuff, like. Um, like making content that you think they would like. And if you can get them to follow you and get them to like, you know, chat to you, then you sort of like stepped up a little gear. Then people who follow that person might also follow you because you see them interacting a lot. Then from there, you can start leveraging that into your own brand, into your creating content. Because at this point, you probably shouldn't be making that much content because who's going to care about the content Mm. if you don't have a reason for them to follow you, you know? Whereas if you're making content with a purpose that you're serving a community, then you're providing a thesis that, um, and advertising the idea that you are useful to follow. I really like the idea too that be useful to people because I think we have as
1: software developers, right? I feel like a big part of our responsibility is to give back and is to ensure that we're finding ways to help others share the knowledge that we have to make them better so that we can grow this ecosystem in a way that is productive.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you want something when you post something online, you know, you want, um, for me, I wanted, I, I always wanted to have a platform like this, uh, because I knew that then it would mean that I could sell learning materials that I'm really interested in producing. I knew that it would make a lifestyle that I wanted to, to lead. And of course, it's just really useful for job security as well, because if I ever need a job, I'm just go on to Twitter and say, "Guys, mm. please hire me because <laughs> people know that I'm the typescript guy if people have typescript problems, then they might hire me so having Twitter followers having this network is useful so and if you're doing that from a thesis of uh, I will like let you know I will create drama on your feed, let's say, or I will uh, give you controversial." uh hype driven tips or things or you know i i will like it, it's just not as uh i i don't enjoy that sort of uh feeling mm. that i get from consuming that content or like um uh, being a part of that content so what i like doing is just like sharing stuff and i'm trying all the time to find new formats where i can share that stuff in a way that makes people excited that makes people feel like they got like a knowledge injection uh, and that enables people at work. Like I just find that stuff really interesting and it's it's like a board game puzzle that I need to like continually <laughs> solve and it's it's ever changing and shifting and I find it really fun. Well, that is our time.
1: Matt, thank you so much for being here today. It has been an absolute pleasure chatting with you about your journey into tech, new ways to think about and embrace imposter syndrome, and sharing some insights into the wonderful world of TypeScript. Any final words from you? None from me. Thank you so much, Managel, for having me. This was really fun. Well, that was bang on rails. And I don't know about you, but I'm heading straight over to Matt's total TypeScript course and digging in. Check out the show notes for all the deeds on finding Matt's great content. Thank you for listening to this episode of Building with People for People, the Unfiltered Build Podcast. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you heard, please leave a review. If you're building something that is interesting and aims to solve a human problem and would like to be a guest on this show, Please send me an email at join the podcast at unfilteredbuild.com. Until next time, go build with people.